Hello, everybody. Welcome to a French Village podcast. I am here with my brilliant friend, Benjamin Wittes, and we have to talk to you about a couple really tough episodes. Uh, we've been away. I'm sorry. We took a week off. We're on vacation. Uh, I don't think it's it's fair to say, Ben, that we didn't skip this or prolong it just because we didn't want to talk about these episodes, right? We Although, genuinely had vacation. I, had I seen them, I would have been like, I can't record on this. This is, uh, uh, and, you know, I just also want to say that uh, I blame you. Oh, okay. Um, because nothing you did emotionally prepared me for Marchetti personally dragging Marie up a ladder and hanging her. And um, and uh, I know there is no justice in the universe, but I feel like it was your responsibility to, uh, to emotionally prepare me for Marie uh, not surviving the show. Uh, so listen, I, I, I understand this. I hear you. Uh, however... Um, I'm going to take it as a compliment that I got very good at not giving away any tells. Uh, as I talked about the show earlier, I feel like you may have even accused me at times of being too soft on Marchetti. Uh, and uh, maybe I was overcompensating because I hate Marchetti so much uh, and and have always known this was coming and uh, and and hated hated to know we were going to relive it uh, in these episodes. I, I you know, I, you did hide, you know, my great premise of this show was that the main characters all survive. Yes. And, you know, I, I, uh, was shocked when, um, Morhange did not make it. And then one of the, you know, Marcel Larcher doesn't make it. Uh, and I thought he was going to not actually be shot until pretty close to the last moment on the theory that the Larche brothers survived the show. And now um, we have um, Marie, who's as close to a main character other than uh, Danielle Larche himself as the show has not making it, but also like not just not making it. She doesn't get shot and left in a ditch somewhere. She gets personally hanged by uh, one of the show's uh, uh, great villains. Um, and I, I just want to say I hold you responsible. Okay. Well, I'm going to take it because there's there's really nothing I can do when I dragged you into this entire enterprise. Like I knew it was all coming. And uh, and and I got to say the thing the thing that I sort of like about the show, obviously, because Marie, it's not just it's not that it's just that she's a main character. It's that she's maybe as close to like a, a pure hero as the show gets it's as close to a moral center as That's the show right. gets. And so, you know, she is, uh, and I, I, you know, when we were doing kind of early on, we were doing the like, oh, who would you be in the show? And I, um, I aspire to be a Marie. Um, and so to know that you have to go through, you know, a couple of seasons without her, I remember when this was happening the first time being like, I'm not going to kill Marie. Like, I, I'm not going to, I'm not, like, it's like one of those things sometimes where you and lose Marie a character. And reacts that way too. That's yes. Well, she and I want to talk says about that. To Marchetti, you don't you don't have the guts. You're not actually going to do this. 
That's right. Uh, and and I want to, um, well, we should, well, I just want to say one thing about the show overall, which is that, you know, you you had said, and I, I didn't even react when you said it uh, early on that you had this, you know, this television show premise of main characters sort of survivability just by virtue of it's a television show. You got to keep your main characters. Um, and, and, and I would say, uh, this show, one of the things I like about it is it, you know, lots of people didn't survive World War II and the Holocaust, members of the resistance, Jews, lots and lots and lots of people. Uh, and the show is true to that. Like there, it, 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 it exacts, I mean, obviously not in this, you know, whatever, but like it, it, it doesn't just say it, it, it operates true, I think, to its form um, in a way and is willing to give up characters for the sake of, and not like a like a Game of Thrones shock. I was about to say that. You know, Game of Thrones very casually kills off its characters and uh, actually blunts the emotional impact of it by doing it so casually. Uh, the French Village when it kills off a character, it is a big deal. And, you know, uh, you know, it preps the Marcel Larcher, uh, death with an entire series of scenes and episodes where he and, uh, Shasanya are having, uh, you know, coming to some kind of personal, though certainly not political, uh, relationship, um, and actually goes through the exercise of making you like Shasanya a little bit better than, uh, his vicious, horrible character would lead you to. Um, uh, and here it spends, you know, what season are we in? Five? Five. Uh, so four whole seasons um, setting Marie up as the hero or a hero only to have her be very casually murdered uh, on the eve of or in the course of liberation. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a particularly brutal uh, uh, treatment and of course, quite accurate, you know, in the sense that there are a lot of Marie's who did not survive the war and the, uh, milice and the, uh, uh, Petain regime, you know, did kill people on their way out. And, um, uh, the chaotic period where, that was liberation, except when it wasn't, uh, you know, actually involved a very high death count. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, it is, it is the part of the brutality of all of it is not just because it's the kind of like intimate murder between two main characters with whom we have like deep and complex relationships, but also because like Germans are hours, minutes from like skipping town. Like this whole thing is almost over, um, and and there's something about uh, there's something about the deaths that came right at the end, right before it was all over. There, there's something just 
um, extra excruciating about it. But but what was happening that led to this uh, is that, you know, Marchetti, and so, because I want to talk about some of the events leading up, because it, it's, I think that the death of Marie has a lot to do with where Marchetti is mentally and where Marchetti is mentally is due entirely around like the negotiations that are happening about what's going to happen after the regime completely turns over. Everyone knows they're on the precipice of this happening. And so um, the our, our socialists and our communists, uh, where we're going to start to see them have a less easy relationship now that they don't have a common enemy anymore, um, but they are negotiating, right? So, so um, uh, Marchetti and, why well, I'm blanking on uh, my pencil pusher bureaucrat's name. Servier. Servier, thank you. Just remember uh, his name servile. Is, a, yeah. is a pun on servile. Yeah, right. Uh, so uh, Servier, they they capture Antoine and Suzanne. They, at the end of the last couple of episodes, back before Labor Day, um, you know, it ends with uh, them, you know, hiding in kind of a barn or something and people showing up. It's clear her cousin uh, who is now married to her husband, or not? It's it's his hu- her husband's cousin that he's now weirdly shacking up with because you know French because cousins because uh, French yeah <laughs> French cousins uh, that that she's clearly dimed them out. The you know Marchetti shows up to arrest them, uh, and so now we've got Suzanne and Antoine in, in jail, and Servier and Marchetti see an opportunity to kind of barter. Uh, these resistance leaders, instead of turning them over to the Germans, right, because who cares about the Germans anymore, they see this opportunity to barter them for uh, a written agreement that they will be treated, uh, that they will get a fair trial, or that they won't be held accountable for what has happened, right? And this is, my guess is, is like, this is what's, and Servier is pretty interesting in these scenes because he's talking about you know, he's such a one well, the, legitimate one government legitimate government being yeah. replaced by another legitimate government. So I'll take hostages in the meantime. <laughs> you know, it's it's, That's right. it's it's such a mix of of bureaucrat bullshit and raw kind of ISIS hostage taking. <laughs> uh, ex- it's exactly. And so they have this like funny meeting with the the with uh what's his name i don't i'm like back from vacation i've forgotten everybody's names uh with the head communist uh and the head oh, resistance paul. guy yeah paul um, and and ensemble and ensemble and of course ensemble and paul like not a love not a lot of love lost between them they're they're like sort of openly arguing about whether or not they should even be having this uh little meeting um, but ultimately, they come back and they say, okay, we will do this for, you know, bureaucrats, cops, blah, 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 but not Marchetti. Like, not for people who have real blood on their hands. And not Milis. Um, not not uh, this, you know, irregular, well, semi-regular, uniformed fascist force, right? They're... There's a group of people that they insist basically on executing on site, including Marchetti. And it's just like, it's interesting, like they just say it to his face. And he seems to be resigned to this um, in a way that that he has been kind of the whole time 
Uh, he, and he says it out loud a few times where he's just like, you know, there's not much time left for you or me. Like he just seems to know that he was on the wrong side of this and he's got his, his time is, is thin. So Marketi's psychology here strikes me as very interesting, you know, and not wholly dissimilar uh, to, uh, sorry, speaking of lost names, to Muller's. Um, you know, he's resigned to the fact that he is on the losing side. He seems to appreciate that comparatively early. Um uh, he and Servier's wife both, you know, get that. Um, and that he seems to have this, you know, uh, almost pride uh, against negotiating for his own fate. You know, he is like sort of, I, I made my bed and I'm prepared to lie in it. And he's not interested in, you know, Servier is definitely trying to cut himself the best deal and make arguments for himself. And Marquette seems to think of that as unmanly um, and um, has an almost kind of romantic idea that he'll proudly face the firing squad whenever it's his turn. Um, but the nature of his internal monologue about that is never clear how much of it has to do with Rita and how much of it has to do with the fact that he's a sort of a sociopathic asshole and how much of it has to do with some kind of deeper philosophical commitments. Um, he is... But he's not a Shasanya, you know, who like, like is interested in arguing his way out of stuff. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I, I, I agree with you that, you know, I watched it a second time knowing it was coming. And I was like watching their faces really closely, both he and Marie, because I remember when it happened last time, me being like, why is this happening? Like there's this sort of top layer obvious answer where... He's going to, he knows that he's done for. And so like, why not, like, like, why not take out somebody who's judging him? Cause who cares? Um, and he's got this sort of like evil nihilistic way of, of looking at her. But on the other hand, there's a resignation to him where it seems odd that he would like get up the gumption to feel like he needed to murder another person. Uh, and so, you know, obviously they, and then, and then they have, she is goading him in this, you're not man enough. You won't do it. And I'm like, I, I'm, I honestly, like, she's the one I can't figure out. Like, I understand being mad at Marchetti, which I guess is what I guess is the explanation. Like he's standing there kind of presiding, uh, or not presiding, but at least just hanging out with the Germans who are hanging civilians on the way out the door. And she is accusing him of, you're going to remember this moment for the rest of your life. You're in a position to stop this. Like, they're French. Stop it. And so maybe she's just mad enough at him. But, like, it always struck me. I just made, the scene makes me so mad because I don't want to lose Marie. And so there is this part of me, when he says, 
sometimes a woman just needs to know when to shut up. Like, obviously, I'm like, you know, go to hell, Marchetti. You're the worst. Uh, but there's this other part of me that's like, Marie, shut up. Like, stop. What are you doing? You don't need to get home for this right now. They're leaving. Uh, so, Like the people I, on the bridge who decide they're not going to die in that moment and run. So I don't, I don't have a good answer to that. And I think it's because there is no good answer to that. It's just one of these um, screenwriting, you know, which reflects a kind of reality that some people do things sometimes for reasons that are not entirely rationally explainable, where she basically taunts him into it because she doesn't, she's furious at what she's seeing. And what she's seeing is a horrible war crime. I mean, you know, the Germans have, uh, taken a group of hostages and are hanging them as a matter of retribution for, um, for uh, uh, the incident on the bridge and the deception uh, associated with it. But she's also uh, just doesn't believe that he's, I mean, she's just had this experience with him in which, uh, you know, they're like she knows that he and Servier are are uh, on the way out, and I think she doesn't believe he's, you know, about to do this. The other thing is, it's a bit, it is out of character for Marchetti in the sense that most of his murders or whatever they are are you know, kind of in the line of duty. Uh, you know, he serves a murderous, terrible government, and he's a cop in that, and he, uh, you know, arrests people under color of law and beats them under color of law and sometimes kills them under cover of law. But we have not seen him cold-bloodedly murder somebody before completely outside of his uh, reasonable duties as a Vichy cop would have understood them. And this is a situation, he does not arrest her, he does not, um, he just murders her. And, um, you know, that's not actually the marketee we have gotten to know. It's somebody who is consumed in the moment by a kind of misogynistic rage and a hatred of being on the losing side and a, you know, uh, fear of his own future, you know, whatever the toxic brew is. But he's, this is different from who he has been. Even the evil sides of him are more calculating and less rage-filled than that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I will tell you, you're right that life is chaotic and people do lots of things that we don't understand. Uh, but it is true that in both these situations, uh, remember our Marie is is especially as, as the war is drawing to a close, Marie is careful. Uh, she's not, in, in fact, overly so. And so to me, I just, look, 
if I have to lose Marie, fine. Uh, but it was always weird to me that that this that both these characters did the things that they did in this moment because neither it, it it was neither of them seemed to be doing something where I'm like, oh, this makes total sense for who they are. You're completely right about. You know, he's usually shooting people in the back as they're running away from force service or like delivering. Uh, and and also, you know, the thing that they do with Marchetti basically just interrogating up until this, somebody until they jump out the window. Yeah, right. Um, but the thing that they do with Marchetti basically up until this point, and actually it brings me to my overall point about why I think this happened like narratively, um, is that they make Marchetti kind of complicated, right? He's a little bit sad and lonely and, you know, he loves uh, Rita and, uh, you know, they're just, they, they give you reasons not to hate him. Like, right. Cause part of the point of the show is not like, enough not, reasons. yeah, no, I, well, they're, they're like, you know, it's <laughs> not, um, well, it's not black and white, right. There's no, with the exception of Mueller, although even with him, you start to like, just get so attached to him that you're like, well, don't kill this guy in a ditch. <laughs> He's one of my favorite characters. Um, even though you're like, but he deserves it. And the, my point is, is that that Mar- Marchetti is sufficiently complicated, um, and and does like weird things often that are you know displays of humanity. Um, that just like this, yeah, this sort of like cold blooded killing doesn't quite fit. On the flip side, I think that we are at a when I say narratively, I just think we're at a part of the show where judgment is soon and uh there was no reason for us to feel complicated about marchetti maybe like i I don't know if there's like uh you know like there's a there's like it's almost like they're just like want to make sure you see who this guy is um or something I, i don't know but um just going forward like you i don't know about you you but as a viewer up until this point, you're sort of like, hmm, I, you know, okay, so they can't negotiate for Marchetti's life, but like, oh, I'll be interested to see how people judge like a cop who was like doing his job versus, whereas now it's like no redemption, like redemption's off the table for Marchetti. And, and, and even like, and I don't mean redemption like in a real way, I mean like in a, the show would give him a little bit of redemption because obviously he's beyond redemption morally um, for what he's done, but like, you could see how as a character they would let him maybe slide. But now I think I think you watch this and know like, yeah, you're really done for. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, and and well, and the show uh actually depicts that. The last scene in that episode, if if memory serves, is him not in a disguise, but with a hat pulled well over his eyes, uh, slinking down the street, uh, uh, you know, trying not to be recognized. He's got none of the swagger. He's, you know, kind of creeping off into the sunset. And the implication is that he's now got the mark of Cain on him, you know, you know, he's, he's a kind of shoot on sight character. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, speaking of, of shooting. I just want to say one, before we turn to, uh, matters other than the death of Marie, I just want to say one word about, uh, your, 
uh, identification of Marie with Marie, um, which uh, strikes me as uh, uh, not merely interesting from a, uh, you know, who does Sarah identify with in the show perspective, but in a kind of parallel between uh, the two of you, uh, which I like and I think we'll point out. Um, so, of course, Marie is the regional leader of the Gaullist resistance, uh, which is to say the conservative resistance, uh, which is to say if Marie were the publisher of a magazine, it would not be the nation. It would be something like the bulwark. Um, mm. uh, you know, this is people forget this about Charles de Gaulle, but he was a uh, non-left figure in the pre-war era. And in fact, the left had a lot of trouble rallying behind uh, him. And uh, the Gaullists were the, you know, conservative non-fascist resistance. And uh, de Gaulle had to work over the course of the war to convince people that he was actually committed to democracy. Um, and so there is an interesting political parallel between uh, uh, the Gaullists and the bulwark, right? This is, you know, hey, we're conservative, but we actually have certain pre-political democratic commitments. Um, uh, and of course, de Gaulle, after the war becomes uh, uh, sort of a famously independent, uh, uh, you know, actually uh, to the great annoyance of the Anglo-American alliances is, uh, you know, a kind of did not map on easily to uh, post-war politics of, of the, you know, U.S. Uh, variety. Um, Moreover, one of the things you have always liked about Marie is that at all points, she didn't kind of hem and haw uh, and she didn't wring her hands the way uh, uh, Danielle Larcher did. She just kind of did what was necessary. And of course, that has a certain uh, parallel uh, as well. And so I just wanted to say if... Uh, if it ever uh, uh, there there is a reason, a, a sort of deep uh, intellectual philosophical reason, other than that she's among the very coolest characters in the show, why Sarah Longwell so identifies with Marie, uh, and you know if we take uh, the Stephen Millers uh, of the world to be the Marquettes of the world. Um, uh, we, uh, you know, it is our holy mission to keep the Stephen Millers away from the the Sarah Longwells. Do you think I, I, I'm? Do you think I'm in mortal peril? I, I don't. But you know, we're talking metaphorically here, and yeah. because the whole, the whole, the whole comparison the, is, you know, one is a military resistance to an armed occupation by the Nazis, and the other is the other one we do podcasts. <laughs> yeah, it's Trump yeah. and we do podcasts about it. So like the whole metaphor is merely a metaphor. Uh, but I do want to say that I, do, I don't think people should just like think it's a random Sarah 
likes the really cool girl in the in the show uh, thing here. That there's something deep about the the reasons why you find her a super compelling character. Uh, well, I find that to be a very generous analysis. Um, uh, but I, I, I do think, uh, you know, obviously I'm like, I, I love Marie cause she, she is a hero. I would aspire to be just like her, but it is, there is, a, we, we should, the stakes, uh, are so different. Stakes I mean, they're different. There's and, a difference and, between running the regional resistance in Villeneuve <laughs> and founding the bulwark. I, I get That's all right. that, but. It's worth pointing out that she's not Suzanne. She's not, you know, the the Bernie Sanders wing of the uh, she is something like politically what you are today, which is the conservative world that said, wait a minute, we never fucking signed up for this. Yeah, I'm going to take it. I'm going to just, I'm going to take, I'm going to take that. Um, I, you know what? I'll tell you, it hadn't quite occurred to me though, uh, until you said it. And I'm remembering now that it is funny. There's that conversation between the, the communists, uh, and the socialists where they're, Antoine, I didn't sign up for this to, you know, be, to, to elect a Gaul or something like they are all arguing about, um, uh, that in the next episode. Um, but I hadn't quite pegged that, that the Marie was more of a Gaullist. Yeah, if, if their Joe Biden figure were Mitt Romney. Yeah. Th- that would be the, uh, you know, but it's a, it's an important fissure. And it it's not wholly different from your relationship with the Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez wing of the Democratic Party, that they're, they're people you have to work with uh, for a larger Democratic purpose. But you kind of never forget that, boy, Marcel Larche isn't the person you'd be breaking bread with uh, uh, recreationally, given your choice. And, um, and uh, you know, it's not just her that's like that. It's also um uh uh Anselm, who's a you know conservative farmer type uh yeah. who doesn't have any you know he 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 just doesn't want Germans to run his life and he doesn't want Germans to kill his neighbors um and that's really different from Marcel Larche who has or Paul or even Suzanne who the latter you know who have utopian uh, visions of a different world and uh and it's different as well from uh um uh Lucien's husband um uh Berio Berio sorry who's um who's kind of like me I think you know sort of a you know kind of urbane uh uh he's not urban, but he's kind of urban. Right. And he's, he's part of that sort of liberal set, um, uh, completely different class than Anselme, um, and comes to it from a very different, um, uh, you know, point of view. Um, I, I think the show does a very, very good job of depicting, sort of different 
uh, different gradations and different reasons why people get involved, including the sort of nihilist, because it seems like fun, of, uh, you know, Raymond uh, uh, Schwartz. Um, you know, and uh, I think it's interesting who we, I, I think it actually does say a lot about our own political sensibilities, whom we identify with. Uh, I totally agree with that. And, you know, I was sitting here when you were talking about me and Marie, I was thinking like, who's Ben? Uh, and, uh, you know, I had, I was like, try, I, 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 Barrio was exactly right is the short version. I was like trying to be like, is this Schwartzy? Um, but, but I think, I think, yeah, no, I think you're right about the Barrio comparison as like, you are a, you are one of the, the leaders, uh, but in like almost an, but, but it is, it is your like academic brilliance. Even it's fun. Ah, I don't even know if this is right for this podcast. I just remember the first time I met you, the first time I heard you speak at a conference, I was like, who is that guy? It was all about Kenyon College. Well, that, but that's not what you were talking about. It was That was the first conversation <laughs> we had because I went and sat down next to you at breakfast after I heard you talk at the conference because I, I remember you sort of talking and I remember being able to not place your politics. Like we were in a room that was cross-partisan where like who was talking like in the perspective that they were coming from was very much on display. And I was listening to you talk uh, and wondering, okay, wait, where is this guy coming from? But like agreeing with you, um, and which was one of the reasons I went and ran you down at a breakfast. But that, so that's so interesting because that's that's Barrio, right? He's exactly from a exactly. class pers- from a class perspective. He's not at Larche's level, but he's a bureaucrat. He's He's a school principal. He's relatively high status. He's quite well educated. Uh, on the other hand, he's uh, he's aligned with the Gaullists, which is to say the sort of more conservative resistance faction. Uh, he works with them, but he's a Freemason, or at least he was. But you know, he's uh, a liberal. Um, so he's kind of this complicated political mix. Uh, he cheerfully uh, accepts uh, Marguerite's lesbianism, which is very forward-leaning from a from a 1940s, you know, perspective. Um, and, yeah, and you never gave me a hard time about any of that at all. That's true. That's uh, although I have to say I have um, that's a. Uh, uh, a much easier sell in 2020 uh, or 2016, <laughs> whenever we met, than it is uh, in 1943 fair, fair. when he is presented with his appalled wife. Um, anyway, all of this is a digression um, from yeah, the sorry, actual episode of the show. That's true. Apologies. It's very fun to play the who are we in this scenario game. Um, so, uh, I want to talk about uh, one of the other sort of main storylines is that Mueller and Hortense are on the run uh, and they, it has become clear they're, they're not going to be able to get into uh, Switzerland 
and so they are trying to get into Germany. And so they just, they got a plan. They're going to, they're going to say that they're a newly married couple. He is, you know, he's undercover as is it Steiner. Who's he trying to be? He's got, you know, he's got some fake name. He's trying to be some anti-fascist German civilian. Well, he is, he is once the Americans get to him. Because first, yes. first what happens is they go to a checkpoint and, uh, you know, he kind of threatens the guy at the checkpoint, we first he's polite, and then the guy's not letting him through, and he kind of does this like "get me your superior" type deal. Um, and unfortunately, in the line, he is recognized by one of the cops. Uh, we see, or one of the people we see uh, having like a brief conversation with Marchetti, who like works at the police station, and he just IDs Mueller sort of accidentally. It's just like, oh, that's Mueller, and uh, the German. Uh, police or military guys immediately then grab him and like he's a he's a he's a deserter and um they have him digging a pit his own pit for his grave and i will tell you um i love this scene uh in part because there's some like good acting going on where hortense is like catatonic kind of uh at the notion that and, and not even and that she's going to die. And, Go ahead. I just want to say, you know, this is one of the great acting performances. The Mueller from the beginning of the show to the end of the show. Uh, I, I mean, it is a hateful character. It is an astonishing performance as an actor. And this is another example of that. Totally. Um, but there's also the like cosmic symmetry of him having no, that, that scene that we argued about you and I, about the motivations for Mueller, where he is talking about making the Jews dig their own graves before they shot them into them. And he is opining at the time on like, they know we're going to kill them and they're dutifully digging away. Why did they do it? And now he's digging and he's, He's doing it and, you know, and, and, and I was sitting there thinking, and he says to Hortense, right? So Hortense, basically she's, she goes catatonic and she just is doing this thing where she's like, I don't want to, you know, live without you. And he's telling her like, choose life, like always choose life. It's better. Like, it's just a better bet than death. And like, that is the answer to his rhetorical question for why people dig their own graves is that they're looking for each minute, each breath is still is still preferential to the alternative. Uh, and he does that and gets, you know, very lucky in that the Americans, although I will say the lead American has a very weird accent that made me think he was British. Um, I, I find the show, uh, they did this before with our parachute guy where you're like, what nationality, like what, what, what what is that accent? Where And it occurs to me, it's just that like, whoever the French have doing these, like they might not be Americans because their accents are super weird. Um, but the Americans show up uh, at the last minute and shoot their captives. Uh, and that's when he puts his hands up and immediately, and he is, it's a great acting performance, but also it's just a, such a window into um, what an interesting like character this guy would be that he suddenly speaks 
his English, Perfect like English. just the way he's been speaking French the whole time. Uh, yeah. And then he goes into German and now he's just like, he puts his hands on immediately. He's speaking English and it's disorienting as an American to start hearing him speak English out of nowhere where, and he's got like a cover story just like in his head in that moment. I'm an anti-fascist underground. Like I'm, I'm on your side. It's amazing. Yeah. So I, I also think it is uh, an interesting feature that, the ruse only works for a short time. You know, he's got this amazing pulls a cover story out of the air. You know, it's not like he's not under pressure. He's literally about to be shot. And, you know, he thinks on his feet very effectively. This is a person that we've seen really run the range of human effectiveness uh, from being an adult drug addict uh, to being a highly effective torturer uh, to being a very clever interpersonal operator in in the politics of this little town. Um, and when he needs to suddenly present himself in English, which is a language we did not know he spoke, um, as a uh, anti-fascist underground guy. He's uh, more than capable of doing that, but he is relatively quickly betrayed by his blood type tattoo. Um, the uh, And this is uh, another delicious little historical irony. The uh, Nazis had two broad classes of people that they tattooed, one was concentration camp inmates, uh, uh, victims. Uh, if you were not gassed and you were actually admitted to one of the camps, you were tattooed with a number. And Holocaust survivors uh, often live the rest of their lives with uh, numbers tattooed on their arms. But the other group of people that they routinely tattooed were SS officers. Um, and um, and uh, this is a uh, uh, cool irony that he is betrayed after being uh, treated well and uh, his cover story accepted. Uh, and the cover story is a good one, of course, because he was literally about to be executed by them. So it's completely plausible that they're executing an anti-fascist guy. Uh, but uh, they bring him back to the base and uh, they discover that maybe actually uh, the guy with the uh, blood type tattoo is probably SS. Um, and uh, so I, I thought there were a lot of good ironies in there. It's not just that he's digging his own grave like the, like the Jew that he's uh, used in his power move, but it's also then that he is you know, betrayed by his tattoo. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. Um, it's just it's really watching Mueller in just like civilian clothes, like being in this different, not like like having to scramble as opposed to you know being uh, in charge or in the power position is just it's like it's great. It's it's interesting to watch. Um, but I want to ask you about Hortense oh, yeah. in this situation. Mm -hmm. So Hortense has always gravitated 
to the most powerful man in the circle. So Mark shows up. He's evil and willing to help her steal a baby. So she has an affair with him. Then, you know, a tougher dog shows up uh, and she's, you know, shacks up with with him. Um, And yeah, she retains a soft spot for her husband. But, you know, that's the mere residue of sentiment that she's capable of. But now Mueller is... uh, He's not the big dog anymore. He's on the run. He's not powerful. He's, uh, he's, you know, posing in civilian clothes and lying about who he is. Everything that was sort of, you know, sadistically macho about him is, is gone. And she's really committed to him. And I don't get it. I like, what is her like what's what is she thinking what is she doing why is she not willing to throw him over the edge of the bus and seduce the american commander so i don't know about seducing the american commander i will say that it be it has become clear That's what these- old hortense would do Maybe I don't know. So these these like, scenes, Hortense in season one, totally goes for the American commander. Yeah, I mean these scenes with the two of them, both the marriage, like the 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 like the marriage that they they hold for each other in the car. You know, they're lying, they're uh, like on a log, like embracing. Like I think one of the things that that I think they're trying to show us is that the intimacy and the love between these two people has, has transcended sort of its previous uh, stage of like two psychopaths coming together. There's nothing like torture to bring a couple together. Like, and that is, that is, I think, you know, the scene where he is digging the pit and she's standing there, you know, they're stealing her shoes. She, they give her, he's, he's asking them to spare her life and she has no interest in that. She wants to be in the hole with him. Uh, And I think that that could be, you know, and I think one of the themes of these episodes are the people who are sort of desolate and hopeless in the face of what they have done during this period. Like there is no going forward for them. Like they can't go back, right? Like Marchetti, there's no like, there's no safe space for him in Villeneuve. Same Same for Hortense, right? Like she's, Mueller's it. He's the he's the last stop at the station because you can't you can't go back and expect people to be like, oh, we're just gonna, you know, reintegrate you into into our village. And yet, you do get the sense that Janine uh, is playing a very different hand. You know, she's similar to Hortense in that she starts the show married to a prominent. Um, uh, civilian, uh, uh, you know, bourgeois. Uh, she is, um, although she is actually of a different class entirely, um, she, uh, is deep in Vichy. She, uh, marries, uh, remarries a, uh, committed collaborationist 
and in somewhat the same way that Hortense, you know, uh, allies herself with the, uh, you know, sexually and romantically with the occupation. Uh, uh, and yet she wants to play her hand to get herself out of it. Um, and Hortense's, you know, wants to help Mueller dig the pit. Yep. Uh, uh, look, I, I, I think that, uh, I, like I said, I think, I think they're really in love. Like, I think that's where we are. Uh, I think she does not envision a world where she goes on without him. Which, which, you know, occasional feature on this show of romantic advice. Um, you know, I just want to say, don't be true to your SS officer. If you're, yeah. if you're the sort of woman who, uh, falls in with an SD officer torturer and he, uh, to make a point to your husband, uh, 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 cuts your arm, uh, in his office, uh, with a pincer. Um, you don't need to help him dig his own grave when, when it comes time, you just don't need to do that. Walk away. Okay. But, 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 but let me just, just so agreed on the advice, but, but take, take Mueller. <laughs> like this is the, this is the thing, right? Like he too is like an evil bad person who, when it suited him, uh, honestly, professionally, he turned on her and tortured her. And now, faced with death, he doesn't- And enjoyed it. Yeah. He wants, no, he, but now he's he's bartering for her life. He is, and he has been sort of putting, like, he, the reason he's in this predicament right now is because he chose her, right? He chose her, so, he couldn't, yeah. So here's my question. If you take her- commitment to him, which is discretionary. She, you know, his commitment to her, which is discretionary. And uh, something we haven't talked about yet, which is uh, having murdered uh, Marie um, uh, by the end of these episodes, um, Marquette is somehow plotting to see if he can save Rita again, who's on the platform to be uh, sent to uh, the last stage of the uh, of Auschwitz. Uh, hold that thought because that's an interesting subject too. Um, uh, is the theme here that these people who have done such horrible things are groping for something to ennoble their existence so that there's a kind of story that they can tell themselves in which they are not simply the villains, even for somebody like Muller, who has at times so relished telling himself the story and telling others the story in which he is simply an evil villain. But now facing the end, they actually want something to ennoble their existence a little bit, if only their commitment to each other? I mean, I don't know how to answer that because it'd be entirely speculative, but I don't I don't necessarily imbue it with that amount of, like, I, I honestly think the Hortense Mueller thing is like they're in love. Like they have arrived at this place where uh, they are in love with each other. Marchetti is a different animal because I do think that Rita for Marchetti besides being an obsession of some kind, is a weird type of 
loving when you fall in love with in this, you know, a Jewish woman have a Jewish child when you have been a person who has sent so many Jews to their death. Um, and like, and even it, it, it happens again, like in this moment on the, tr on the train tracks, right. He's saying, because it would, the, these, you know, having the, the, the Germans are trying to make, um, the militia and Marchetti, who is now going to travel with the militia, take these Jews and Marchetti's like, throw them off the train. Who cares? And then, of course, he sees Rita and everything about him changes. He goes from this cold, who cares about these people, to, like, obsessed with – and you're, like – and you get the sense it, at watching him, like, this guy would murder everybody, put his own life – he would literally lay down on these tracks and put his life on the line for this woman and child, which is – and so to the question – to your question of, like, is that about the story he's telling himself to imbue meaning with his life – Maybe, I don't know, but uh, but it certainly is like the deepest of ironies and it is an, and it is one of the things about Marchetti that we know, which is you he, everything about him changes when Rita's in the picture. He's a completely different person. Anyway, so so anyway, so I so I don't quite know how to answer that question, but I but I will but let's go to the tracks because we we've now talked a lot. We we haven't spent much time on the second episode in these two. Um, but the, what do you, so one of the things that's interesting, and I don't know if you historically, like this idea that they were going to, on the train, take these Jews to Germany. Um, you know, I got to say, uh, I just. Poland. Oh, Poland. Are you sure they were going to Poland? Well, I mean, it would go through Germany because Germany's, you have to go through Germany to get from France to Poland. But the death camps were in were in Poland, huh? Um, and so, and so, th this is something that the show depicts that seems completely insane, and is totally accurate. Uh, and it's one of the weird, great pathologies of the Nazis. So this is most dramatic in Hungary. Um, uh, a little bit later in the war, um, but the Germans' commitment to killing Jews was so extreme that when they are trying to do orderly retreats, right, when they are trying to accomplish military objectives in the end stage of the war, it was still a priority for them to get trains with relatively small number of Jews to places where they could kill them. Um, and, you know, there has been a fair bit of historical head scratching about this. Um, like, you know, why on earth would you prioritize killing civilians over, you know, military supplies, right? Why on earth? And the answer is that it was a fundamental component of their ideology. Uh, they were really, really committed to it. And so you see in this same period of the war, sort of, you know, late 44, um, this is the period in which uh, uh, they basically try to liquidate the entire Hungarian Jewish community. 
uh, and it's um, amazingly late in the war um, that they, you know, that they try to remove the entire Jewish community of Budapest, which they basically, you know, do. Um, and uh, they and they do it with the Russians, you know, approaching Hungary, and they continue the operation until Budapest falls to the Russians. Um, and so this is, you know, like it is completely pathological, right? It's as though it's as though faced with the annihilation of the regime, there's a Marchetti quality to it, right? Faced with the, you know, certain defeat, um, at least we can take out a few more Jews, right? But they, they, you know, they did not always have working trains. Uh, they did not always have, uh, their troops were not well supplied, particularly in the East. Um, and this was a military priority for them, often to the frustration of the Wehrmacht, which, you know, was not especially interested in murdering Jews. Um, but the, uh, the regime's priority was, you know, put an enormous premium on it. And the number of Jews who died toward the end of the war, when you'd think the Nazis had better things to do, it's an act, it's actually a significant percentage of the entire uh, uh, Holocaust. Yeah, I guess it's just like logistically weird to me. Like I, I buy that like, okay, politically they were committed to this, but like, I don't know. They've got guns right there. Like I, I it's, I, I guess I, it just like seems like you have to like transport people. Like Marchetti is, Marchetti's trying to solve this logistical problem by being like, just throw people off the train. Um, but they, you know, but they are saying they're kind of doing this German efficiency. Like the SS knows exactly how many people are supposed to be showing up and they've got a list and you know, they better all be there. Um, anyway, it just seemed it, I'm, I'm glad you, just brought up what you did. Cause I spent the whole time being like, I, if I were them, like this just doesn't seem like a practical way to operate. Uh, the answer is both things happened and, you know, Villeneuve yeah. is a fictitious place. Uh, and so they get to make a, take a little license. Uh, look, two thirds of the Jews of France survived the war. Um, uh, in the, chaotic period of the end of the war, an enormous number of, this means a third of them didn't survive the war. And there were a lot of Jews in France. Um, uh, and the, another detail that is accurate here is that foreign Jews, uh, by the French definition of foreign, were dramatically less likely to survive the war than French citizen Jews. And so the Ritas and the Sarah Myers had a two-thirds chance of not surviving the war. And the, uh, uh, what was his name, Ezekiel Cohen's, uh, two-thirds of them are killed, two-thirds of the French, uh, more than two-thirds of the French citizen Jews survive the war. And so um, uh, it is, there were, a lot of killings by milice and by, you know, uh, uh, people who, you know, just kind of roundups, people got killed. Uh, 
as a general matter, most French Jews who were murdered in the Holocaust were deported by train to Auschwitz and uh, other death camps. And so it is certainly the case that there would have been some just killings in this period on, you know, in of relatively small groups of people, one at a time, you know, 10, 15 at a time. It is also the case that there would have been uh, people concentrated at railroad tracks uh, waiting to be deported. Um, and that's, um, you know, both things happened. Yeah. Um, well, we, we just, so I want to just get to one last major plot point, uh, before we wrap. Uh, so we see Lucien and this is, I guess, Barrio, which I, I guess hadn't quite occurred to me and I don't, is, has been gone for quite some time. Um, she is, she doesn't know where Barrio is. And so she's asking the resistance fighters that Schwartz who are, have come to the school to lay out Marie's body, I guess, or, and she says, you know, and, and, and they know who Barrio is, but they like, haven't seen him since March. And so it's been clearly months and months since she's seen him and, uh, and 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 to your point about these retreating armies, we get our first sense of they you know they do the liberation, the bells ring, um, you know the whole thing is is sort of the, the the jubilation is stinted by the death of Marie, at least for the resistance uh, fighters that we know. Um, but pretty soon, fighting breaks out again from these like the retreating forces of Germans who have now like shown up at Villanova and have. Um, commandeered the school and commandeered Lucien's baby, a uh, child, uh, in to, to demand that they sort of treat, uh, the retreating German soldiers who are injured, wounded, etc. Um, and that also strikes me not like you said, villain of his fictional, but geographically. So one of my best friends, Rebecca Frankel, I'm going to just plug her book really quickly because I just burned through it in the last two days. I'm going to have her on this podcast, by the way. She wrote a book called Into the Forest, and it's about the Jews that survived, Polish Jews who survived in the forest during the Holocaust. It's the most amazing book I've read in the last couple of years. And I'm not saying this just because she's my friend. It, like I burned through it in a couple of days. Um, but there, there's a whole... Um, she does like Wonderful an amazing New York Times piece by her on this. She did. She had a great New York Times piece. There's a great Wall Street Journal review of her book. Like it's getting a lot of attention because it's fantastic. I had an early copy, uh, and um, it's an, it, part of it is just like the amount of research, the reconstruction she did with personal journals to like get this story is it's like a feat uh, that you can't imagine. It's so it's so good. But but there's a lot in it about this period because they're in the woods and people are passing through the woods to retreat, right? Like the Russian army is advancing through the woods. The German army is like retreating through the woods. And so it still presents a ton of peril because there is this, and you just raised this point, and I think you're really right about it. The um, There's like a metaphor of, I, I lost the thought. I had it while you were talking, but it was like a, a metaphor for, um, of judgment, right? This is like, like Marchetti kills Marie because she's judging him. And he knows that judgment is coming. Like that to me, actually, when you were talking, that seems right. And so like people 
retreating, like Germans retreating, they want to kill anyone who's going to judge them, right? There's a need to eradicate the people who saw what they did. Um, And anyway, uh, what is my point? Where was I going with this? Uh, oh, that the that there's now we we're we're seeing this this phase of the retreating army that still shows up with their guns and says like you need to treat us, um, even though kind of the war is over and they're not necessary and they're on the losing side, but they can still roll into a village with their guns and demand certain things. Yeah, we and again we've talked about this before, but you know we think of liberation as a day, and that is wrong. Liberation was a process. And it was a process, you know, that was different if you lived in Normandy than if you lived in some of the areas where, you know, the, uh, that retreated later, where they had more time to do more stuff before they had to pack up and leave. Um, it was different in towns where they left all of a sudden than in towns where they retreated to, right? And so this process is super, uh, super variable and uh, uh, chaotic. And I, I think, the again, Villeneuve is fictitious, and so they get to construct the story about it that they want. But I think the idea that you don't really know on any given day who's in charge or who's, you know, who's going to roll in and steal your baby and make you treat their people. Uh, there's surely a lot of truth to that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, these were... I'm worried about Barrio. Yeah. Uh, I'm worried about all of them. As Marie shows us, nothing is over yet. And yeah. all of our heroes who've put themselves on the line are vulnerable from a variety of different uh things so um but great couple of episodes tough couple of episodes uh it's great to be back uh and we will come back next week and do episodes let's see five and six we're gonna get halfway through the fifth season um we are nearing not exactly the end but you know it's i think we'll if we keep our pace we'll be done by november um thanks all of you i'm sorry we, we skipped a week uh benjamin Edith, take us home. Nous nous aimions bien tendrement. Comme t'aimes tous les amants.